Good morning, everyone. Uh, can please stand for a scripture reading? First uh, Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen to twenty-five. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not accusation, but before two or three witnesses them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before, one, uh, before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. And some men they follow after. Likewise, also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Amen. Please and turn to First Timothy chapter 5. We're going to continue our series in First Timothy. I never preached from First Timothy before in almost 40 years of ministry. I've never preached from this passage of Scripture before because it's not something that I would normally preach on. But it's very important for the church. As I consider this subject, it is vital. This whole chapter is actually vital for our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 5. We, we might skip over this passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy 5, and, and think it has little bearing on our lives, I would say to you, think again. The first part of the chapter talks about widows, and all of us have a mother, and many of us will have mothers who are effectively widows, and how do we care for them? That's very important. The second part of this chapter deals with pastors, and if we're a Christian, a pastor is a very important part of your spiritual journey. Here I am. And it's important that we have the right pastor. Because having the wrong pastor or choosing the wrong pastor can really put a lot of stress in your life. I hope I don't bring stress to your life. (laughs) But he can. A church that doesn't have the right pastor, that that church can end up dying. And that's what this passage is about. Three questions we want to ask from this passage about pastors. Now, 
you might want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I, I'm not going to turn there with you now, but I will later. So be prepared to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But there's a question. I just want to introduce this question. I'm not going to answer it. I actually want to give you a, it's a quiz question. I want you to write down the answer to this question, what you think the answer is. That's not the right slide. This is the slide. Paul asked this interesting question. Doth God take care for oxen? That's the question right out of our King James. Doth God take care for oxen? And it goes down to this passage and it connects because it says, Paul's quoting from that similar passage in 1 Corinthians 9 in this chapter where he says, you shall not muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. So not to muzzle the ox. In other words, let the ox eat while he works. Do you feed the beast? Doth God take care for oxen? Now, it's yes or no. I want you to write down your answer. And we'll, I'll give you the answer a little bit later. But as we begin, turn to First Timothy, please. And chapter 5, and I want to read verse 17, and then we'll pray as we begin. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the Word and doctrine. And let's pray. Father, thank You for the, Your Word. Thank You, dear God, that it deals with so many issues of life, and here it deals with the church and her pastor. And we pray, God, that You would give us wisdom to understand Your Word, to rightly divide it, and to know, Lord, who we are as image bearers of You. Help us to know why we are here. Lord, help us to know what we should do while we're here for You, even in Your church. And help us to know what we shall soon be when You come again and we see You, Lord Jesus. We will be like You. We thank You. Now bless this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the main reasons churches lose their light. And if you read in, first, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, remember that passage? It's addressed to really the pastor, the angel. He says, to the angel that is at the church in Ephesus, right? And as you go through that, and I look today, for example, he tells that church in Ephesus, which we're talking about Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy about ministry in Ephesus. Remember, what was the, what was the sin of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? What had they left? They left their first love. But Paul's writing, or John is writing there to the pastor. And he, it's a singular, it's a singular masculine Tense when he says, you have left your first love. He's talking about the pastor of the church. Leaving, and if a, if a pastor has left his first love, it's not good for the church. The Lord says, I will remove my candlestick unless you repent. When pastors lead badly, are immoral, teach false doctrines, and live for the love of money, churches will die. Churches will shift away from being sound in faith to becoming liberal. Many of the problems in Ephesus centered around these two issues Paul deals with in chapter 5. Pastors, some who needed to be disciplined. 
And that's what Timothy was, is being charged to do. And widows. And really what was probably happening, and I see that this connection here, but that the pastors were teaching the widows, and the widows were taking what the pastors were teaching, which was false doctrine, and going house to house with it, and spreading the false doctrines. It was creating quite a problem. Paul had already disciplined some of these pastors. In 1 Timothy, if you go back there, chapter 1 and verse 20, he says that some of these pastors, and he names them by name in verse 20, Hymenaeus and Philetus, and he disciplined them using his apostolic authority, and he said he delivered them unto Satan. Why? So that they would be restored, actually. So that they would learn not to blaspheme. So these pastors were teaching blasphemous things, and, and they were causing people to become shipwrecked in faith. And so Paul is sending Timothy into this lion's den of spiritual warfare. So this chapter deals with these two important individuals in our lives, widows and money. Now, in this passage where he says, again in verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Who are the elders? Well, they're not just older men. Now, in the beginning of this chapter 5, he says, rebuke not an elder. We did a message on that. That context leads us to say the elder in chapter 5, verse 1, is an older man. But here in verse 17, the elder is one with an official leadership role in the church. And that's clear because it says, the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And the idea of ruling, and it says then teaching, because it says these elders, verse number 17 also, labor in the Word and doctrine. So these elders have both a ruling ministry and a teaching ministry in the local church. And the idea of ruling connects these elders, this term elder, back to chapter 3. Remember chapter 3? What's given in chapter 3, verse 1? The qualifications of who? Who, do, who does it say in chapter 3, verse 1? It says, if a man desire the office of a what? A bishop. He desires a good work. And down in that passage, it says in verse 4, the bishop is one that does well. What does it say in verse 4? 1 Timothy 3, 4. He rules well his own house. That's the same idea. So, it's a ruling function. Because if he can't rule his house, how is he going to take care or rule in the church of God? So these elders in chapter 5 are the same office as the bishop in chapter 3. Now here's a very good reason why I'm a Baptist. Because biblically speaking, an elder and a bishop are the same exact office. And there are actually three different Greek words that all refer to one office. The three Greek words are elder, and the Greek word, I'm going to give it to you, it's presbyteros. Sounds like what denomination? Presbyterian. So Presbyterian church got its de denominational name from that word elder, presbyteros. The word bishop 
in chapter 3, verse 1, also that word overseer, the same Greek word behind it, I'll give you the Greek word, and see where this leads us to. Episcopos. Sounds like what denomination? Episcopalian. So Episcopalians grab that word episcopos and attach it to their denomination. The third word is a shepherd or a pastor. So these three words all refer to the same office. The bishop focuses upon the duty of the work, the elder upon the dignity and honor of that office, and the pastor refers to the, to the devotion, the love and compassion that a shepherd has for a sheep. But it's clear from the Bible, and I will say this, very, it is very clear from the Bible that these three terms are not three different offices. They are one office. And I say that's clear in the Bible. For example, and there's a number of scriptures we could look at. I'll just look at one. Go to Titus, which is just two books in advance to us, and it's the same pastoral epistle set, if you will. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles, letters written to, to men who were going to fix problems in churches. Titus in Crete and Timothy in Ephesus. But in Titus chapter 1, we see both of these terms and it is absolutely clear they're referring to the same office. Titus chapter 1, look at verse number 5. Paul says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain who? Elders in every city, as that I had appointed thee. If any be... And what's that word? Blameless. That's the first word how we started describing the qualifications of the bishop in chapter 3. Blameless. So right there we see that the elder and the bishop are of the same office. But now keep reading. He says, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. Now verse 7 says what? For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry. And so here we see the word bishop is used side by side with elder in Titus chapter 1. In Timothy, we see the word bishop is used in chapter 3. The word elder is used in chapter 5. But they're referring to the same office. And the early church understood that to be the case. In fact, there's one of the earliest writings outside the Bible. It was written to Christians to kind of summarize certain parts of our Christian walk. It's called the Didache or Didache. And in that thing, and you could, you could Google it and you could read it for yourself. It's D-I-D-A-C-H-E, the Didache. And in the Didache, in this extra-biblical writing written to churches, it's, they speak of two offices in there. Just two offices. Of course, over time, the Catholic Church rising up with wanting more authority in the, in the church and less with the people, and then even more with one man in the church. And over hundreds of years, that one man and leader in the church developed into what office? The, the Pope, which is like the high bishop of the church, of the Roman Catholic Church. And without get, going too far in this, I just want to say one thing. 
that nowhere in the New Testament, and I say nowhere in the New Testament, is every elder called to submit to any bishop of another church. No bishop of one church is called to submit to the bishop of another church. And yes, that's the whole essence and foundation of Romanism. That every bishop of every church, every elder in every church, every deacon in every church is to submit to one bishop, and that bishop is the pastor of where? The church in Rome. It's just not in the Bible. But that's, that's the foundation of Roman Catholicism. All the power is in that one particular bishopric. But nowhere in this passage, show me. If it's in the Bible, I will believe it. Paul is not writing to the elder here in Ephesus and say, you have to submit to the, to the bishop of Rome. <laughs> it's nowhere in the Bible. Okay, I'll leave it alone. But that's why I'm not a Roman Catholic. There's a lot of reasons why I'm not, and that's a major one. We want to live out love in the local church. And because we do, there's some questions we need to answer and then ask related to the pastoral office. That's the message today. Three questions about pastors, and these questions are questions you need to have answers for. This is for you, dear church, that you understand the role and ministry of a pastor so that you will be able to choose the right pastor when it comes to that point in, of this church's life. Now, I've been a pastor here for 20, I don't know, 26, 27 years. You haven't had to make that choice. But there's coming a day, I'm not going to resign, don't worry, but there's coming a day when you'll have to make that choice. So I'm going to ask you some questions today. Here's the first one. And this is why I wouldn't preach on this on my own. But what's the first question? Should you pay the pastor? And the answer is yes. Okay? That's the answer. I'm not giving you the answer. God is telling you that answer. I'll show it to you. And how do you pay the pastor? What it says in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor. You pay the pastor, double honor. You say, well, that sounds like a lot of money. How much is that? (laughs) Okay, as I said earlier, pastors have a ruling ministry. It says in verse 17, let elders that rule well. The idea of ruling there is to protect the church, guard the church, preside over the church, and make plans for things of the future for the church. And then he has a teaching role. He says, let those who labor in the Word and doctrine, pastors should work laboring. The word labor is even to the point of exhaustion. You know, it is exhausting sometimes studying. The study of books can give you weariness of the flesh. For those of you who have studied, you understand what I mean. Have you ever, have you ever read the Bible? Or have you ever read, maybe you were studying for law or you're studying for an exam in education or accounting or wherever you study. And you just like got so tired you fell asleep right, right while you were trying to. How many of that ever happened to you? It's happened to me many times. You know what I do when that happens? I go take a nap. 
a good 15-minute nap, and I get woken up. Because I cannot study if I'm sleeping. I, I, I've, I found that out. I've learned the hard way. Laboring in the Word. The, when he says laboring in the Word, I believe the emphasis there is on the preaching of the Word. The proclamation. The encouragement with the Word. The application of the Word of God in people's lives. As Paul later told Timothy, preach the Word. And so they labor in the Word and doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. So preaching and teaching. Laboring. Not with flattering words, as Paul even said in another place, because some corrupt the Word and handle it deceitfully, but we want to preach and teach Christ so that people will know of Him and be reconciled to God and saved. So, pastors who rule and teach, he says here, deserve double honor. So what is double honor? How much is that? So, double honor, I believe the double honor there refers to appreciative respect. Or you could just say respect, but I put appreciative because it alliterates with the other words. A good word. No, I'm just kidding. Appreciative respect and adequate remuneration. So, the double honor is respect plus some remuneration. And I believe the text bears out that in some way, the honor here does refer to material compensation for the pastor. It's important for the church to know this, and you study it out for yourself. But if the elder gives his time to the church to such an extent that it is an all-engrossing labor of love, the church has the responsibility to care for his material needs. So, double honor is appreciative respect and adequate remuneration. So, how much does that mean? How, what's adequate remuneration? Is it, and, and, you, and I, I looked at different commentaries and they talk about, is it double the pay? Double the pay of who? Well, is it double the pay of the widows? He just talked about the widows got financial or some kind of material help from the church in their need? Is, it, is he saying the elders get double what the widows got? Or is it double what the church members get? Yeah. How much do you pay? How much do you make? Oh, I'll get double that. No. <laughs> double the pay of Jeff Bezos? <laughs> Some preachers think so. I speak as a fool. Paul said that. I'm quoting Paul. <laughs> Because there's a lot of love of money in the pulpit. And Paul talks about that in the next chapter. We'll get to it. The pastor is not to have a covetous heart. And we'll see that in a moment. But what I'm saying here is the double honor does not speak of a financial amount. He is saying... Because every culture, is, that amount is going to be different. And it's going to look different in every culture. But it will be an adequate remuneration. Now some people say, we want to keep the preacher poor, because then he'll be pious. <laughs> well, that's not accurate. That's not true. Generally, and I, I would just say this, you guys have treated me and my, my family so well over the years. 
you know, I have absolutely zero complaint. I'm going to talk about that, but you've treated us so well. But basically, they taught us in school when they were teaching us as, as young pastors. They said, they told us, live at the same level as the average median person in your church. Live, live, live at that level and be content with that. And I, I thought that was always good advice. But he says, double honor. Now, there's a word in verse 17 I want us to think about for just a moment too. In verse 17 where he says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And again, that has nothing to do with a financial amount. It has to do with respect and some level of adequate remuneration. And then he says, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, there are a few different ways to maybe look at that. My understanding of especially is that there are, there's a pool of elders, there's a, larger, there's a large pool of elders, and some of those elders have more of a ruling function, but then there's a smaller group within that larger group who have more of a ministry of labor in the Word and doctrine. So when he says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, some of these elders who rule well, if they give their whole life in an engrossing fashion to the church, the church should give them that double honor and remuneration. But especially, he says, those who labor in the word of, and doctrine, and especially you can almost read, most notably those who labor in the word and doctrine. Above all, especially in a special sense, those who labor in the word of doctrine. And actually, I looked up that word, especially, it's used a few times in Timothy. It's used actually back in chapter 4, verse 10. If you look at that real fast, it's used in the same sense. In other words, there's a large group and a subset of that larger group. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 10 where he says we labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. So that's all men, the large group of humanity, especially, that's a small group of all humanity, of those that believe, those who are saved. So in that same sense, he seems to be talking about the elders. A large group of elders, not all these elders had a teaching role, as, as maybe some elders did. And really, that's kind of the way it is in our church, too. We have Pastor Carmine, you, we could definitely say, is an elder. He's a bishop. Bishop, pa- bishop Pastor Carmine over here. Okay? And, uh, but, but I'm more of a teaching elder, if you will. I, I spend my time in preaching the Word of God. Pastor Carmine does as well, but not as much as I. And so, in that sense, Pastor Carmine is worthy of, of that double honor, but he does not want any financial remuneration. Thank God we have an assistant pastor who just gives his heart and his time without any financial burden to the church. It's really quite amazing. And we have a, a ministry assistant who does a lot of pastoral work. And I was speaking of Brother Micah as well, who accepts no financial remuneration from the church, but also gives his heart and soul And both of these men give hours and hours of their lives to Heritage Baptist Church. And they deserve our honor. So, should you pay the pastor? I say yes, because the law demands it. Now we go to verse 18. 
He says, For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, what's amazing with this, and it's a very unique Scripture in the New Testament, you know what's amazing about it? Is Paul quotes from two different Scriptures. One from the law of God written by Moses, and that's the first part of verse 18. The Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. We're not going to turn to that, but that's Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse number 4. The second Scripture where he says the laborer is worthy of his hire. Who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we have two Scriptures. One in the law of God, Deuteronomy. One by the Lord Jesus Himself in the book of Luke. The New Testament, which was written probably within five years of Paul writing Timothy. But yet he puts what Luke wrote in the New Testament on an equal plane and level to what Moses wrote in the Old Testament. The Word of God in the Old Testament and the Word of God in the New Testament are absolutely equal in authority and both are called Scripture. It's a fantastic verse that shows even as soon as the ink was dry, when the New Testament writers wrote, as soon as they wrote what they wrote, it was Scripture. And so when Paul later writes, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, he's talking even about New Testament Scripture that was written up to that point. But the law demands it here in the first part of this verse. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, here, now we go to 1 Corinthians 9. Now, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm actually going to start at verse 7. And as I read this, I'm going to ask you this question. Should you pay the pastor? And if so, who's responsible for this decision? Who's responsible for this decision? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Who goeth a warfare at any time at his own charge? In other words, who serves in the military? Who plants a vineyard and eats not the fruit thereof? Who's going to plant a farm and fruit with fruit and, and all kinds of produce and not eat of it or benefit from the labor of it? Or who feeds a flock and eats not the milk of the flock? Who's going to have, have a, a, a flock of goats or a flock of cows and milk the cows? Should the farmer get remuneration from his work as a farmer? If somebody f serves full-time as a soldier, should he benefit financially or should he get, derive a salary from being in the army? That's the question. You think he should? Paul's saying here that God has ordained that those who labor in a particular sphere benefit materially from that sphere and should have a salary provided for them upon which they can live. Does that sound fair to you? When you work a job, what if they just say, oh, this week we decided we didn't want to pay you this week? Are you okay with that? Okay. Verse... Verse 8, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law also? So here's the law. The law demands it. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox 
that treadeth out the corn. <clears throat> and here's the question now that I asked you at the beginning of this message. Doth God take care for oxen? Now notice what he says in verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, that is written. That they which plow should plow in hope. And that he that threshes in hope, not the ox, he's not talking about the oxen, who's he talking about? The one who's serving God. The one who's plowing the, the field and laying the seed of God's Word in the field. And the one who's ministering and laboring over the Word. It says that those that thresh in hope should be partaker of His hope. For if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? So as a pastor, I sow spiritual things into your life. That's what I'm supposed to do. And the pastor should reap some financial material benefit, is what Paul is saying. Now the answer to the question, when Paul says, does God take care of oxen? Paul's really asking it like this. And what's the answer, do you think? Paul's really asking, God doesn't care about oxen, does He? He really cares. His ultimate concern is for man. When he said, don't muzzle the ox who threshes out the corn. God doesn't really care about oxen. The answer to that question is no. Does God care for the oxen? Based on what Paul wrote there, the answer is no. His ultimate concern in saying that was for men. How many of you wrote no down? <laughs> you wrote no? See that we, we agree, brother. It's good to have a past assistant pastor. We agree. How many of you wrote yes? That, it was a trick question. I would have wrote yes too. Don't worry about it. But that is the that is the sense of Paul in this passage, and he's not saying that God is heartless toward oxen. He is saying that his ultimate concern in writing that is not oxen. It's for man who is serving God. And so don't muzzle the ox means that, yeah, People had a natural sense of sympathy for animals. Don't, don't people just naturally care for their animals? If they're a decent person, you have a natural care for oxen. I remember a few years ago when I was out in Kansas, and the weather was so bad, and the farmers, when I was out there, they, if, the, if there was snow on the ground, they had to get bales of hay out there to their cows, their, their cattle, or else the cattle would, would suffer frostbite and they would, they, would, they would freeze to death if they didn't get food because eating the food kept them alive. It, it kept their insides moving and kept them from freezing to death. And I was worried about the, the cow dying. I was. Because I'm a man. And of course we have some kind of sympathy for even lowly animals. But if we're going to have sympathy for lowly animals, how much more should we have concern for the man of God? So I say to you, feed the beast. That would be me in this case. <laughs> feed the oxen. Because God does care about His servants. Let's keep reading. Verse th we read verse 11, let's read verse 12. For if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power. In other words, Paul did not derive any financial help from the Corinthians, even though he could have, but he did not. 
But he says, but suffer all things that we, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? So he's talking about the Old Testament, right? Those who served in the temple lived of the things of the temple. And they which wait at the altar are partakers of the, with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. There it is. So what's the answer to the question? Should you pay the pastor? Yes. Now, and here's the point I would like to make from these verses. In, in none of these verses does the pastor tell the church, here's how much you should pay me. I believe it's the church's responsibility to be concerned with the salary of the pastor to give him that double honor. It is not my concern what you pay me. It's your concern. Now as we keep reading in this passage, Paul makes another very important point. My concern is not how much I get paid. My concern is that anyone who walks through that door can receive the Gospel of Jesus Christ without charge, freely. That's what I want. That's what Paul says in this passage. And this is so important for the church. Especially in these days when people say, don't go to that church, because man, the church just wants your money. That's, how many of you have heard that one? The church just wants... You can, I want you to honestly be able to tell people, I'm not going to go to church because the church just wants my money. I would really like, if, if it came out of your heart, because this is my heart to you, we are not here for your money. And you have a pastor who has never demanded any particular salary. And I believe I could, I, I believe that's true. I have witnesses. I've never, I've never given a, the church my budget, said, This is my budget, and you meet it. I've never done that. Look what Paul says in verse 15. He says, But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory in. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me. That word woe is an exclamation of deepest grief. That word woe is used at Babylon's destruction in Revelation 18 when they said, Alas, alas, the great city has fallen. Paul's saying, Woe is, alas is upon me. Woe is to me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ Without charge. Without charge so that I abuse not my power in the Gospel. Here's what I believe based on this text. The preacher of the Gospels should be willing to go wherever God leads and calls him to go without promise of a salary. The preacher of the Gospel must have a burden and a call to preach the Gospel in that place and to those people. And then trust God to have his needs supplied. The preacher of the Gospel ought to have a sense of deep necessity that God has called me to this place to preach. And if He wants to supply my need, 
He'll do it. I would be preaching here today if the church had no money to pay me next month. Quite honestly, I would. Because I believe God's called me to this church and called me to this city. I would still preach here today. And I would ask God to provide for any needs that I had. Or I would go outside and raise the money if I needed to raise the money. And in fact, just to be with, in full transparency here, when we first came to the city, I was fully supplied. My finances were fully supplied as a missionary. So when I started Heritage, of course the church didn't pay me anything. But then as the church grew, the church started to give me some salary, and then I dropped off the missionary support. So today I have one church that supports me, and I believe two individuals. I am still with Gospel Fellowship Association. I'm still technically a missionary, even though you supply my needs, but I've just stayed with the mission board because I have a good relationship with them. And I also want to let you know that as churches have dropped my support and Heritage has taken on my support, GFA, my mission board, knows exactly what you give to me because I report to them every month. I send a report still every month to my mission board with how much you give. So just to let you know. And GFA sets a support level for me and I am not making 200% of what their support level I'm making 98% of what their support level is. So I'm, I'm right there. It's good. Everything's good. So GFA does know my salary. I want you to know that I'm accountable to them as well as accountable to you here. Because you know, if you're a member of the church, how much, how much you pay me. And that's fine. And I, I want you to know this also, just for transparency's sake. From the very start, when we had our deacons meetings and we, we did our budget together, this is how I would do it. I would share, if there was a particular need, I would share a, a need. Let's say a health need. My wife has had health situations. We needed some, along the way, some health needs uh, for, for our finances for that. And when my kids especially were in school, I would share maybe financial need for education. And I want to say, thank God, you know, I was able to put three of my kids through school and through various means, I was able to pay all my kids, three kids, education, and they were able to graduate without any debt. That was of God. And there's, I won't get into all the, there were different things that happened. One, of course, is that you helped supply those needs. So I, would, I have shared needs, but I never made any demands. And then, after sharing a need in our deacons meeting, I would recuse myself from the discussion of my salary. The deacons, I have testimony, I have witnesses here. If I say anything wrong, you could stand up and say, Pastor, that's not true. You, you honestly can. But I'm, I'm trying to be as careful as I know to say what I know to be true here. I've recused myself from the meeting... When my salary is in discussion, the, the deacons have made the decision and I have always accepted that decision with thankfulness that the deacons have made. And then the church was always presented that amount and the church has always voted 100% for what those deacons decided. Is that true? That's true. 
And so I'm thankful for Heritage Baptist Church that you have cared for me. And you have fulfilled your responsibility of being concerned about the salary of the pastor. And I want to fulfill my responsibility so that people can come into this church and know that when you come to hear the Word of God, we're glad you're here. We want you to hear about Jesus Christ. We want you to hear about how He's the Savior of the world and how He died on the cross and rose again. So that you can be born again. Okay, and the second thing, and we're gonna, I'm going to try to move very quickly here. The Lord instructed it Himself in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And I already made a few comments about that. That Old Testament Scripture is absolutely on the same level of authority as the New Testament Scripture. Now, the second, the second point here, the second question I want to ask you, can you discipline the pastor? Can a church say our pastor has failed morally? What if a pastor gets into adultery? What if a pastor leaves his wife? What if the pastor becomes money hungry? What if the pastor changes his doctrine and denies some doctrine of our faith? Are pastors exempt from accountability? What's the answer? No. The pastor is accountable just like every member of the church. We are accountable one to another. And that's in 1 Timothy, if you go back there to chapter 5. Now this is why I say, is it easy to discipline a pastor? Do you think that would be easy? (laughs) I can't think of anything that would be more difficult for a church to go through. And it's scary being a pastor because the last thing I would ever want to put the church through is anything like that. And by the way, if, if there's ever a desire amongst the deacons or amongst the people of this church for me to resign, I will resign. I would not want to cause any problems for the church. And that, I just put it out there. It's like that. I went to... When I first was in the city, there was a pastor. He's with the Lord now. He had a deacon in his church who was selling alcohol in his little bodega. And he didn't believe that a deacon should be selling alcohol. Okay? That was his honest conviction. Well, the church just came up against him and fought him and wanted him out. And he said to me, this was when I was back in Brooklyn. This was in the late 1980s, a long time ago. He came and he said, the, the church wants to vote me out. Can, and he tried to get some other preachers to go to the meeting. So my wife and I went. And making a long story short, they were arguing not over the Bible... They were arguing over Robert's rules of orders and what kind of who, who had the authority to control the order of business. Can you? This is a Baptist church. It's so sad. And the pastor was trying to have a, a meeting based on his order of things, and the people were having none of it. They were chanting while the pastor was presiding. The people were chanting, "Vote, vote, vote, vote." I still can hear. That's like a nightmare. I was like, wow, they didn't teach me this in Bible college, you know. (laughs) They wanted him out. Well, the church got him out. Well, it was a real lesson. I would have just said, church, I don't want to put you through this. I'll leave. Myself, that's the way I would do it. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
He says in verse 19, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, doing nothing by partiality. So let me be fast with this. Can you discipline the pastor? Yes, with, fear, with fairness and fear. I put, with fairness and fear. Can you discipline the pastor? Yes, with fairness and fear. Do so. How? Factually. Verse 19. So here's how you should do it, beloved. If you think the pastor has done something wrong, you may go to him personally as you would go to any other member of the church. You come to me and you say, Pastor, I heard this about you. Is it true? Now, if I did something wrong and, I, and it wasn't something that would cause me to be disqualified from the ministry, hopefully I would say, please forgive me. Let's make it right. Let's pray. Let's work together. And you can forgive and we move on. If it is of a serious nature, somebody comes to the pastor of a church and it is of a serious nature and he admits it, then you would get two other witnesses. You would come to the pastor and then you would verify that. And then you would bring that to the church. He says, do not receive an accusation against a pastor except for two or three witnesses. In other words, if somebody comes to you and said, did you hear the pastor stole money from so-and-so? Don't listen to that. That's an accusation without witnesses. Don't listen to it. It says, receive not an accusation against an elder except two or three witnesses. That means you just say, I'm not hearing this out. I'm leaving. And that's how we should deal and treat each other, by the way. Because by the mouth are two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. Churches can be hotbeds of gossip. And people love gossip. But dear friends, I ask you, reject all slander, all gossip, whether it's about me, whether it's about one of our pastoral workers, whether it's about one of our deacons, whether it's about another member. Do you have witnesses? In the mouth are two or three witnesses. 2 Corinthians 13, Matthew chapter 18 says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses in church discipline, things must be done with factual fairness. And then, once it has been established, you bring it public, though. It says, them that sin, rebuke before all. The pastor has a high profile in the assembly, and the assembly needs to know if the pastor has done something deviant. And especially what Paul is dealing with Timothy, there's doctrinal problems there. There was doctrines of demons coming into the church. And they had to establish, was that pastor teaching these false doctrines? And then they had to get witnesses for it and then bring it to the church and say, Pastor Hymenaeus has been teaching that the resurrection is past already. And he's overthrowing the faith of some, for example. And they had to establish that and then say, oh, Hymenaeus was teaching that? Oh, yeah, I heard somebody else say that. Oh, it's wrong. I'm afraid. I don't want to believe that. So public discipline causes God's people to fear God. And then impartial. It must be done impartially. And that's verse number 22. Lay hands suddenly. I'm sorry, verse 21. He says that what we do, and this is so important. It's a lot of information here. 
But the point of this, verse 21, is this. What we do in the church of Jesus Christ, whether it's this service or whether it's a business meeting or whether it's a, the discipline of a pastor, what we do, we do before who? Verse 21. Who do we do it before? God. And who else? The Lord Jesus Christ. And who else? The elect angels. Our work is done before God. It has to be done without partiality. In other words, we don't bring accusations against other people because we just have bones to pick with them. Or we want to settle old scores. No. So can you discipline the pastor? Yes. And the third thing is, do you ordain one to be a pastor? And the answer is yes, with wise patience. Now, cutting to the chase here, he says, refuse to be hasty in verse 22 and focus on purity. Keep thyself pure. So, let me go back to that one. Refuse to be hasty and focus on purity. And I'm going to summarize this for the sake of time. Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other man's sins. Keep thyself pure. So, he says... When you ordain a pastor, and the the picture there is laying hands on them, setting them apart for this eldership, this role as a pastor in the church, do not do it hastily or carelessly, or you will select the wrong one. You can select the wrong one if you do it hastily, and if you do it hastily, then the church will actually be a partaker of the sins that that pastor ends up committing. So you're responsible on this also. To have great wisdom in who you would choose to be your pastor. Isn't that something? So that you're not a partaker of their sins. Now, no church is going to be perfect in this. And mistakes will be made, but we want to minimize our mistakes and who we ordain or lay hands upon. And then focus on purity. Keep thyself pure. Now, there's an aside here. There's an aside. There's a totally a parenthetical thing. And what's amazing about this chapter is the most well-known verse in the chapter is just a parenthesis to what Paul's saying. The most well-known verse in this chapter, you know what it is? Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. That's the most well-known verse. People who don't know anything about the Bible know about that verse tucked away in 1 Timothy chapter 5. They say, oh, ho, ho, you preachers, you don't let me drink? Well, let me tell you. Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine, buddy. <laughs> it's amazing. People who know very little about the Bible, there are two most, there's three most favorite verses. Jesus made wine. And Paul told Timothy he could drink a little wine. And Jesus told the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. You know, what, what did he tell the... Um, those who are without sin, cast the first stone. We're all sinners, so sin is fine. That's, how they, that's their interpretation of it. People who know very, very little about the Bible grab these verses and make bad interpretations. So I'm just going to say these three things. Here's in this parenthesis... What we actually see from it is that Timothy was practicing what? Abstinence. 
Why was he doing that? Well, I'm not exactly sure. I wasn't there to ask him. But he wanted to demonstrate purity. Paul tells him, keep thyself pure. Maybe he wanted to be an example. Maybe some of these false teachers were getting drunk. Timothy did not want to be associated with wine, so he was practicing abstinence. Second thing, the water, though he was drinking, was giving him health problems. And we know that water can, in certain cultures, if they don't have a good system of sewerage, that the water can become filled with bacteria even from human waste. I remember going to the Dominican Republic one year and they said, under no uncertain terms, do not drink the water. Or Haiti, right? When we went to Haiti. Do not drink the water. It will make you sick. And so the water was giving him health problems. And so Paul told Timothy, for health benefit, take a little wine for medicinal purpose. Paul's not counseling Timothy. Timothy, you want to reach people with the Gospel? Go down to McEphesus Pub. The McEphesus pub is really the place to be to meet people and have some Guinness with the brothers down there, you know. Drink some brew. A little whiskey too. Take a little wine, a little beer, a little bruise. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying go down to the pub and meet people to preach the gospel. Timothy had a health problem. So my question is this. Wine was the best medicine in Timothy's day to deal with his stomach ailments. Is wine the best or only medicine for us to deal with our stomach ailments? Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> okay. And also, you know, some people say if you're sick, don't go to any doctor, don't take any medicine. All you have to do is have enough faith and what? Pray! You don't need medicine, just pray! No. If you're sick... Seek the best medical advice you possibly can get and take the best and proper medicine for your sickness. That's my counsel based on this. Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for thine off infirmities and your stomach's sake. Because the wine is alcohol. And I actually looked this up. Do you know how many medications actually have alcohol in them? A lot. I mean, medications like... I thought I had written it down somewhere. Oh yeah, I did. Tylenol, Robitussin, Benadryl, Vicks, the liquid, liquid brands, all have some alcohol in them. So you take alcohol for your, for your ailments. You might not have known it, but you do, and so do I. In that sense, I don't take wine. I, I do practice abstinence. I don't believe that we have to drink wine for our stomach's sake, is my point. Okay, and I'll move on to this last thing just quickly now. When it comes to ordaining a pastor, notice what he says in verse 24 and 25. It's a little difficult to maybe interpret, but what he's saying in verse 24 is that your sin will be uncovered either now or later. Your sin is going to come out either now or later. And so will a pastor's sins. That's why you should not be hasty in laying hands on a pastor. Some men's, are open bef- some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment. Some men they follow after. And who do we think of? Jeff, you were on the radio with us a few weeks ago. I was thought of Ravi Zacharias. It wasn't until after he died that some of these terrible things he was doing came out. But they come out. Sin will be uncovered. So both halves of verse 24 deal with the bad deeds and sins. In this context of the elders, but we can all make application. Verse 25, 
Both halves of this verse, a little more difficult to understand, but I believe both halves of this verse deal with the good works. The good works will also come out. Look what he says in verse 25. Likewise. Where he says likewise. Just like the sins come out, likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand. In other words, you're going to see some good works that people do. And then it says, and those that are otherwise, in other words, those good works that are not manifest beforehand, in time cannot be hid or they will be evident too. In other words, not all the good works we do will be evident to men today or tomorrow. But eventually, the good works of certain people will become apparent and obvious. So again, Paul is encouraging Timothy in ordaining elders not to do it hastily because time brings true character to what? To light. Let time work. And if there's sins in that person's life that would prohibit them from the ministry, that will come out. If their good works have been manifest over time, then that's the one you should lay hands on and ordain to the ministry. So, those are the three questions. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, help us to keep ourselves pure. Forgive us for our sins. We're living in an age of distraction. An age of the flesh running rampant. We need to keep ourselves pure. God, I pray as the pastor of this church that I would be an example to the believer. That I would be that example to feed the flock of God willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Not being a ward over Your people, but being an example to the flock. You be the Lord of each person here, O God. And You are the Lord of this church. You are the head of our church. Not any man, not any human bishop here or in Rome. You are the head of our church. And Your Word is the authority that we follow. That's why we take these passages, Lord, and seek to look at them to the best of our feeble understanding. And dear God, we believe these questions are important for Your church. And I thank You for our church family. I thank You for their wisdom and sense of responsibility to give double honor to the pastors of this church. Lord, we pray that You would help us to have wisdom always in our church discipline, whether of a member or of a pastor. And Lord, we pray You will give us wisdom as far as who to lay hands upon in ordaining pastors of this church in the near future or even in the far future. Dear God, give, your, give wisdom. And may You always keep this church in having the right pastor because we don't want the wrong pastor to stand behind this pulpit and lead this church to a spiritual death. So, dear God, please take this church in Your hand and in Your charge. And how many would say, Pastor Matt, I pray for Heritage Baptist Church to ever be a light of His love in our great city. Is that your prayer? Can I just see your hand today? Just keep this church in your prayer. That we would be a light of Jesus Christ so that 
people can come into this place and know that the gospel can be freely given. Would you make that your prayer? Lord, make this a place where the gospel would be given freely without any charge. We want Greenwich Village, New York City, yea, this whole Northeast, to even hear the gospel. Lord, use us as a light of your love, we pray. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone who'd say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved, but today I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. Pray for me, Pastor. Is there anyone? Can I see your hand? Is there anyone at all who needs Jesus? Now, Lord, bless us and thank you, God, for Heritage Baptist Church and our dear people. Thank you for our dear Pastor Carmine. Bless him and strengthen him. Thank you for our dear brother Micah and his wonderful ministry. Bless these men. Bless our deacons and their families and their wives and their children. Thank you for children and even grandchildren here today with our dear brother Edgar and Anna. Thank you for their faithful, wonderful ministry at Heritage through these many years. Thank you for your blessings upon their lives through their daughters and through their sons-in-laws and their grandchildren, little Layla and another on the way. Oh, bless them, Lord. Take care of us, oh God, today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.